Awesome. Good morning. Come on, who's ready to get started in the Word today? It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. So we're in week four of a series called That's What He Said. And we're literally talking about what Jesus said in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and se- chapters 5, 6, and 7. And uh, we're, we've been walking through that, and we're in week four of what that looks like. What does that mean? What, what is Jesus actually trying to say? We've talked through the, the, the things that like, were the most popular discussion uh, was the Beatitudes. And then you got things that, that we've talked about uh, throughout the weeks. So if you've missed any of this, I encourage you, go back. Uh, watch some of the videos, go back on the podcast, pick up on some of that, so that you can kind of follow along with what Jesus is, is trying to say in the greatest sermon ever preached. The greatest sermon of all sermons ever preached uh, anywhere, and, and it's the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, man, I know sometimes like we give preachers a hard time for being long-winded, but like Jesus preached so long, it took three chapters to break it up, and then like he had to feed them in the midst of it all. Like it... It was a lot, y'all. Like, there, there's a lot going on here. But um, so, I want today's message, you can take notes, and, and I encourage you always to take notes, note takers or history makers, because uh, we can go back and we can look over this. So, you can title it this on, Keep it on the DL. Keep it on the DL, right? And, and the reason is it, so, DL means down low. So, like, keep it, keep it quiet. Keep it quiet. And because here's why, right? Because Jesus is actually teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking a lot about character development. He's talking a lot about internal shifting, internal development, internal change, rather than external activation and actions. And so Jesus is taking uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7, and he's, he's talking in Matthew through the Sermon on the Mount. And, and to be honest, and I've said this in every week, and I'm going to say it again this week, to be honest, he's not really talking to people that don't have a relationship with him. Because who he's talking to in the sermon when it's taking place physically are the disciples. And it's not the 12 disciples that we all know and we all talk about. It is thousands of disciples on this hillside that considered him a teacher and had a relationship with him enough to go, I want you to teach me about the kingdom of God. I want you to invest in my life so much that I'm going to ask questions. And when you teach, I'm going to learn and take notes and all these things. They considered him their rabbi. And so Jesus would come along and he was teaching. And as we go back and we read these in 2022, it's a little different. It wasn't written to us and said to us, but the reality is, is it's for us. But us is people that have a relationship with Jesus. So Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is inviting Christians into a new way of life, into a higher standard of life. So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you have two options, really, when Jesus is preaching this. It's one, you can sit back and just listen, or two, he's inviting you to a new life. He's inviting you to something better, to something greater, because back then, all they worried about was what everybody saw them as. So their external life mattered more than their internal character. Man, I am so glad times have changed. They worried more about what they looked like and acted like and who they knew and who knew that they knew that they knew that that person. And that's today we just call it social media. Then they just called it life. And like the reality is, is things really haven't changed that much. So the same challenges and the same um, um, invitations are there with Jesus. In, in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 1, Jesus makes this statement. 
It's really an intriguing statement. It's really a very challenging statement. He says this. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness. Now, remember, let's define righteousness. Let's go back to week one. Righteousness is right standing with God. All right? So beware of practicing your right standing with God. Watch this. Before men. Well, pastor, shouldn't we live our lives publicly and share our story with Jesus? Yeah, because watch this. He says, before men to be noticed by them. So he addresses why you're living it before people. He's not saying keep your faith quiet. He's saying just don't live it so loud so that they pay attention to you. And that is the only reason you're doing it. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. He goes, practice your righteousness. Practice your relationship with God. Practice You're right standing with the Father. Practice all of that. Be public about it. Don't step down from it. But you never do it so that everybody else sees you. You never do it so that you get a gold crown. You never do it so that they think you glow in the dark and and hover above the ground. You don't do it for those reasons. In fact, Jesus consistently throughout the Sermon on the Mount talks about the fact that our lifestyles should be different. Why? Not because we're living for righteousness from God, but we're living from righteousness for God. What's the difference? The difference is when I live for something, I'm trying to earn it. I'm trying to make God proud of me because if he's not proud of me, I don't have righteousness. If I don't have righteousness, I don't have right standing. If I don't have right standing, I have no relationship with him. If I have no relationship with him, then hell is my destination. And so when we live our life for something, it's constantly, hey, God, did you see that? Hey, God, did you see that? I knew every word to that song that Radiate Worship just sang, and I lifted my hands one time. (laughs) Hey, God, did you see that? I joined a life group this summer, and I'm going twice. (laughs) They meet eight times, but I'm going twice, God. It's going to be so good. Right? Like, that's not what it is. It's when we live from righteousness with God, when we live from a relationship with God, it's I get to worship him today. It's I get to get in a life group to spend time with friends and family that go to my church and that people I'm getting to know, and we get to talk about God. I get to read the Bible and know more about him, not because I have to, but because I get to. Do you see the difference? One is I'm earning merit. The other is I'm living from what God has already given. And it's a difference. There's a difference in the way I live. See, when I live for something, I'm bound by that thing. So when I live for, and I'm trying to just, I'm always living for, I'm always striving. Most of us live our lives with God. Most Christians will live our lives with God, striding, striving for something from him. If I pray this much and I worship this much and I go to church this much and I do this and I do that, then I'll get something from. And God says we already have access to everything in heaven through Jesus. And so instead of striving for something, maybe we need to learn to stride with him. Because when I stride with him, I'm I'm working from love and from what I've already attained and what he's already given me. What if I were to tell you God wants you to worship and pray, but not so that you can point to it but so that he can be in your midst. There's a really big difference. One is a check mark on a board. The other is just he inhabits the praises of his people. And he walks with us. Is this helping anybody so far today? So we live from, not 
4. And, and when Jesus was talking about beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them, he was actually talking to this group of people called the Pharisees. And here's why. The Pharisees, right? So we talked about the law. Remember last week we talked about the law. And there was the Ten Commandments that started out. And then all these religious people came in and added like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws back to it. And it was almost impossible to live. Well, the experts in living all the religious laws were the Pharisees. They were the ones that knew how to do it all. They were the ones that had it all figured out. They were the ones that created a bunch of the laws in the first place. And so they had to create, they had to live it out, right? And so when Jesus is talking about this, he's actually calling the Pharisees out. He's actually looking at them and going, I know you're good on the outside. I know you got it all together. I understand that. But don't live your faith so externally that you're only noticed by man. In fact, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees again, and he calls them hypocrites. Hypocrites. He looks at them and he calls them hypocrites. Now, we all have our own definition of what a hypocrite is, but in that day, when he said hypocrites, hypocrites in that day were defined as this, Greek actors who wore masks in order to play various roles in a play. So when he looked at the Pharisees, he said, you are no better when you live this thing externally and not internally. You are no better than the Greek actors who have seven different characters to play in the same play, and they just change their masks depending on the character they have to play. Doesn't that sound like some of us sometimes, though? Oh, I'm at work today. Oh, I'm on social media. Oh, I'm at church. Oh, I'm the And Jesus goes, just get rid of the stinking masks. I didn't ask you to play seven roles. I asked you to play one, and that's you. Just play your role. Just live your life. Just run your race. Just be who God the Father created you to be. And if you will do that, then we don't have to worry about doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Yes, it may have been the right things. Yes, they may do the right things, but when it's for the wrong reasons, it pollutes, and it dilutes, and it makes wrong the right things. Hypocrisy happens when the public you is not consistent with the private you. Let me say that again, because God's calling some of us out today, calling some of us up, right? Hypocrisy happens when who I am in public is not consistent with who I am in private. And if that's any of us today, there's probably a portion of our lives that we can go, yeah, that's probably true there. That's probably true in this area. That's probably... And let God today, let the Holy Spirit shine a little bit of light on those things. Let the Holy Spirit shine a little bit into those dark corners of our lives where we can go, yeah, the private me is a whole lot different than the public me in that area. What I love to teach leaders is this. This is something that you can take and, and, and implement anywhere in your life, and it's this. It's that the, the, your gifts will get you on the stage, but your character keeps you there. Why? Character is defined when nobody is around. That is who you really are. That is what you really are. That is how dedicated to God I really If I only worship God when I'm sitting in a room with hundreds of people, but I can't do it when I'm alone... Worship may be a performance for me. If I only pray to God when somebody's leading me in prayer, but I can't lead myself in prayer, prayer may not be quite as important as we think it is. Are you following me today? I'm going to call it all out. 
Like if I love my wife around my friends, but not when we're alone, the love may not be quite as strong as we hope it is. Are you with me today? The reality is, is that Jesus is looking and he's going, I want, and he's calling all of us up, and he's calling the Pharisees up, he's calling us up today, and he's saying, I want who you are in public to line up with who you are in private, because if not, you are no better than an actor that plays various roles and just changes the mask so that people see who he is on the outside. And Jesus goes, no more of that. Let's be something consistent. Let's be faithful to God. And he gives, in Matthew chapter 6, he gives some private practices, private practices that we are to develop within us that help us live our faith externally because it has now been developed internally. And he gives some challenges with this. Let's read Matthew chapter 6, verses 2 through 4 for the first one. It says this. It says, so when you give to the poor... Do not sound a trumpet before you. As the hypocrites, remember the, the illustration there, the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you the first Private practice that Jesus challenges us to live is thankless generosity. Thankless generosity. Would we still be generous if nobody knew we were generous? Would we still give if nobody knew we gave? Would we be okay if we never got a thank you? See, the Pharisees, again, were great on the external. They were great about doing what needed to be done. Generosity was an expectation of people that believe in God. Even in that day, today, Jesus, people say this all the time. They're like, well, was tithe still a portion of what Jesus taught? Yes, Jesus still taught about 10%. But, well, I'm a New Testament guy. I'm not under the Old Testament. That's good because Jesus talked consistently about give your tithe plus some. So we can argue all day long, but Jesus, even then, when he said, I'm not coming to abolish the law, I'm coming to fulfill it. Here's what he was saying. I'm coming to call you to a higher standard, and the higher standard is we give above and beyond. We're generous. We're generous in the Old Testament. We're generous in the New Testament. We're generous then. We're generous now. And the Pharisees were good about being generous. They were fine with being generous. In fact, they would walk in to the synagogue, and there'd be a metal uh, jar or a metal container there where you dropped the money. Most of it was coins. And so when it hit, it would make a lot of noise. And the Pharisees were the kind of people that they would grab whatever they were dropping the coin in. They'd go, come! <coughs> Don't worry about me. I'm just giving my generosity today. <coughs> you don't have change for 100? That's all right. I'll just drop 100 in here. That's what fair, they were great at making sure that people knew they were giving their tithe and what they were supposed to give. But it also says not just in the synagogue, but in the what? In the streets. And so it was a common practice that people that lived for Jesus, what they would do is if they saw someone in need on the streets, they would buy them bread or give them money or they would buy them some clothes or whatever they needed. They'd take care of them. The Pharisees were great at going, <coughs> I'll provide that jacket you need. 
Oh, you're hungry? <laughs> I got you. Hey, look over here. Hey, wouldn't it be annoying if every time somebody gave, they just walked around like this? Because the Pharisees wanted a thank you. They wanted everybody to be like, hey, good job. You're doing what God said. You must be so humble. Man, I'm so pr proud of my humility. It's crazy. And, the, and, they, and they walked around quite, sometimes I believe quite literally with this jar going, look at me. I'm shaking what I've got. I can give. And Jesus is going, why don't you quit shaking that jar? Why don't you quit showing everybody what you're giving? Why don't you quit worrying about that? Why don't you become a thankless, generous giver? Somebody that's not worried about going, look at what I gave this month. Let me get on Facebook and tell everybody what I did. Instagram needs to see a picture of me helping that homeless person. Surely my small group wants to know. And the truth is, is Jesus is going, I don't really have a problem with people finding out. I have a problem with you holding it as a badge of honor when you're doing something that you're supposed to do anyway. See, in my house, there's certain expectations from our kids. Like they're going to do the dishes. They're going to they're clean up, right? They're, we might have to fuss at them 15 times to get them to do it, but... They're going to do it. They're going to put their shoes in a certain place when they come in from outside. And there's expectations of the way that they act, right? They're not going to treat people with disrespect and dishonor. Not going to happen. Not in our house. And so when one of them comes and goes, Dad, I did the dishes. I'm like, that's good. You're supposed to anyway. And it's not me being a smart aleck. It's me going, that's the expectation. Why are you holding an expectation as a badge of honor? And I think Jesus looks at us sometimes and goes, and we go, hey, I'm tithing. And God goes, that's good. I'm really proud of you for that. Just know that's an expectation. Oh, it got real quiet. We don't like talking about that, do we? Hey, I helped somebody in need. Hey, God, look at me. And he's going, that's good. Just understand it's a selfless faith that we live. So it's kind of an expectation you actually look out for others, that you actually help others. And I think Jesus, in, in one way, was looking at them and going, will you just put the stinking jar down for a minute? Will you stop shaking everything and letting everybody know? Will you just chill out with that? Because number one, it's really annoying. And number two, it completely offsets the faith in God, because when we do it for man, men, we make sure everybody sees it. But when we do it for God, we don't care who sees it. Because it's what we call an audience of one. It's a thankless generosity. Would we still be generous if no one said thank you to what we gave? And the answer is we all like a thank you. We all like recognition. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm not doing what I do for that. I'm doing it for him because it is an expectation that whenever the Holy Spirit drops something on my life to be generous, I just listen and I do what I'm supposed to do and don't just shake it around. Are you with me today? 
I knew when we started talking about money, people were going to be like, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to hear that. Don't talk to me. In fact, there was this story in Mark chapter 12. I'm not going to read it to you because I want to get to point two. But in Mark chapter 12, Jesus, he's still talking about this whole conversation. And he's sitting across from where they gave. He's sitting across in the synagogue and he's watching uh, where they give. And he's watching all the, he says, in the story, he says he's watching all these large givers, these big donors, walk up and they're putting large sums in there. And they're shaking the, the thing. They're making sure everybody sees I'm giving. Does that annoy anybody but me? You're welcome. And they're shaking and shaking and shaking. And, and Jesus says he wasn't impressed with that. But then it says that he watched a woman. And all she had was two mite or one cent. And she came up and she placed that in the box. And she didn't walk around doing this. She placed it, made one sound, and she walked off. And it says that Jesus had this thought and basically this revelation and he began to teach on it that her gift was worth way more than any of the other gifts because of this principle. It's easy to give when you have everything. It's hard to give when you have nothing. And Jesus is teaching this thought that if you're faithful and consistent when it's hard, you'll be faithful and consistent when it's easy. And that's why in Luke, it is also said, when you're faithful with little, you'll be blessed with much. Because when you don't have anything, how faithful are you? That is the minimum of how faithful you'll be when you have everything. And Jesus looks in Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 12, excuse me, and he makes that statement. And it rubs people the wrong way. And it's this, this teaching. And the reality is he's looking and he's going, listen, I am tired of everybody giving out of their abundance and thinking they're doing something sacrificial. I want you to give out of your abundance, but I also want you to give out of your poverty. Because when we give, it shows where our faith really lies. Thankless generosity is number one. Here's another one, <clears throat> verses 5 through 7 of Matthew chapter 6. He goes from external giving to internal prayers. He says, when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Have you noticed that when he talks about whenever we do something for man, he consistently says, when you do it right now for the appreciation of men, that is your reward? There is no other reward attached to it now. In verse 6, he says, but you, when you pray, <clears throat> go to your inner room, Close your door and pray to your Father who is in heaven, or who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 7. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Have you ever sat at a family reunion and you're sitting there and somebody prays and it takes 25 minutes to get through the blessing? Because they're holier than you, the more us and the more words they put into it. Lord, uh, I give to you. Uh. Right? I grew up super Pentecostal. So the more uh you had in there, the more spirit that was there. Was like, Lord, uh, I give to you. Uh. And I'm like, just breathe. Just breathe. It's okay. It's going to be all right. <laughs> Having a little bit of fun. Jesus starts to hit on this thought, right, of 
personal prayer. That's one of the private developments that he talks about is personal prayer. Not, not, now listen, I pray in public. I pray to hundreds of people every week, and I can't go anywhere, and people know that I'm a preacher, and they go, hey, why don't you say the blessing for us? And I'm like, I'm not the only one that can pray just because I'm a preacher. Right? But I pray. There's nothing wrong with public prayer, but watch this. Public prayer is a performance until it's private. Did you pick up on what I just said? Public prayer becomes a performance until it is private. Jesus is giving a challenge. Quit praying so everybody else thinks you're holy. He didn't say quit praying. He says quit praying so that everybody else thinks you're closer to God than they are. Here's what I would imagine in my ridiculous mentality that the the Pharisees and the Gentiles would do. Dear God... I pray today, you know me and my voice because I pray to you consistently all the time. You know me, God. Thank you, God. Holier than thou is me. And I would just think that they prayed through megaphones all the time. Because what does he talk about in that moment? He says, don't pray on the street corners So everybody sees you. God, I'm on this corner of Sparkleberry and Clemson Road again. Thank you for meeting me here. It is my great honor and dignity and duty to be here with you. And and there comes a moment where when they're praying, everybody's like, oh, he says a lot of words. He speaks in the King James when he prays. He knows God. If he's not afraid to do it on the street corner, then surely he's not afraid to do it at home. But Jesus was on to something. Jesus said, yeah, he prays on the street corner, but he never prays with his wife. Yeah, he prays on the street corner, but the last time he led his kids in prayer was when one of them was sick. You with me today? Can we be real? Yeah, he prays for blessing in your life on the street corner. But the last time he prayed for blessing in his life is when he didn't know how the bills were going to get paid. Yeah, he, he repeats scripture over you, but he hadn't done that in his own life in a month. You see, Jesus is actually just making this statement. He's going, quit praying through megaphones and pray in a whisper. What are you saying to God when it's just you and him? Because here's a a thought that we all have to remember, a shareable, if you will, today. Prayer is not a performance. I need that to sit in for a minute. Prayer is not a performance. Prayer is not something we do to impress people. It's something we do to have a conversation with God. And that's why he says, quit praying in the street corners and pray in your closet where there's nobody that can pat you on the back and say, hey, good job. That was a great prayer. Can I release some of you today? Because prayer is not a performance, you don't have to be a good prayer. You really don't. There's a lot of people that I hear, they go, I'm just not good at praying. And I used to understand that statement. Because, well, I don't want to sound stupid. I hear people literally say, I don't want to sound stupid when I pray in front of people. 
Can I just tell you something? If they think you sound stupid for praying, then they probably need to be praying. Come on. That's true. Because it should come out of a private relationship with God anyway. It should come out of private relationship, not public affirmation. Let's not stand like the Pharisees with a, with a, with a megaphone and pray. Let's stand with the Holy Spirit and just pray with God. And just talk to him. Here's, here's another one that he talks about in verses 16 through, through 18. It says this. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. He goes again. If you do it for men's approval, I hope you're enjoying the reward because that's all you get. Wow. Wow. Verse 17, but you, when you fast, you being the ones he's calling up either into a new life of a relationship with Jesus or into a new higher standard of a relationship with Jesus, he says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. In other words, fix your hair and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you everybody in here that has ever been through a fast, has at one point or another been like, hey, I'm sorry I'm cranky today. I'm just fasting for the next 24 days. <laughs> sorry. Like we, If you've been through a fast, that's come out of your mouth at some point. But Jesus is having this conversation on the third characteristic that we need to develop in private, and it's faithful fasting. See, the reason we fast is to deprive our bodies. And to, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians in another way, he says it like this. You are to beat your bodies into submission so that you run your race in a spiritual way, not in the flesh. Because one will win over the other, and it's which one do you feed and submit to the most that wins. In other words, we go without eating or Maybe you fast, I don't know, because maybe sometimes medically you can't go without eating and it's just a medical thing. Maybe you need to fast Netflix or social media or fasting your family doesn't count, so chill out with that. I'm fasting bills this month, you can't do that. (laughs) But you get rid of something in your life that is a struggle for you to get rid of and you spend that time in prayer. And what the Pharisees would do is they'd go into this fasting mode and they would put on these shirts. I don't know if literally, but metaphorically, they'd wear this stuff and they'd just walk around like hair would be a mess, the shirt would be all messed up and stains all over it. And people walk up and go, what's wrong with you? I'm just fasting for the Lord. Just fasting for Jesus. I'm so parched. I'm so, I'm so down and just disgusted with fasting. I couldn't even put on a clean shirt today. I'm sorry. And I'm having a little fun with it, but they literally fasted, and they made sure that everybody else knew that they were fasting. Why? Because all they cared about was, I want you to see the stains on my shirt so you know the sacrifices I'm making for God. Because if you know the sacrifices I'm making for God, then you know that I'm close to God. And Jesus calls this whole thing up. And he goes, hey, why don't you do something for me? Why don't you take off that shirt? 
Why don't you quit walking around with your face droopy and your hair all messed up and your clothes a mess? Why don't you, why don't you take a shower? That'd be good. Put on a little bit of polo, red rush cologne. Fix your hair. Wash your face. Put on a decent shirt and clothes. Walk outside and quit acting like you're sacrificing for me when you're really sacrificing because you want the influence that you would get by them thinking you're fasting. And can I just tell you, like, fasting is important when it comes to important decisions, when it comes to season breakthroughs in your life, all that stuff. But the truth is, <laughs> is it's not important for everybody else to know about it. So what is Jesus actually trying to get out of us here? What is Jesus trying to say? He's saying this, that God wants private practice, not a public performance. And when we turn Christianity and we turn our faith in Jesus, we turn our commitment in God into a public performance, we have now cheapened the grace that God gave when his son died on the cross. We've cheapened it from something that cost a life to now it's something that costs attention. And one is way more expensive than the other. And I don't know about you, but I don't need a grace that only costs attention. The grace I need in my life. And I would suspect that the grace that you probably need in your life is the grace that cost a man his life. A man's blood and sacrifice on a cross. That's the grace I need because I mess up a lot. I do these things in public sometimes so that people go, Oh, he's such a good pastor. Can I tell you? It doesn't matter if you think I'm a good pastor as long as he knows I'm a good son. That's the most important thing. Because if I'm a good son, then there's no choice. I'll become a good pastor. But I got to be a son first. A son of God first. And in each of these statements, as I close here, notice Jesus didn't say, if you give. Jesus didn't say, if you pray. Jesus didn't say, if you fast. Why? Because these qualities are the bottom barrel expectations of believers of Jesus. Committed to the kingdom. He said, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, because it's just expectations of us. And actually, I'm not going to read it again, but if you skip down to verse 19 through 21 of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus doubles down on this thought. And he doubles down on this thought in the sense of don't build up treasure on earth where rust and moth destroy, but build up a treasure in heaven where the kingdom never phases out and never leaves us. He doubles down on this whole thing. And then in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he says this. And this is how he ends it. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And can I tell you something? <clears throat> He's talking about money. But wealth also isn't just money. There's a lot of wealthy people because of their influence. There's a lot of wealthy people because of their friendship bases. There's a lot of wealthy people because of the authority that they have. Can I tell you? Never let that stuff become more important than him. Never let that stuff become more important than a private relationship with Jesus. Because everything public 
comes out of what you've developed in private. Can I just pray with you today? I just want to pray with you, and I just want to ask God this one thing. Hey, God, if we've gotten it wrong, if we've made this more about public performance than private development, will you show us that and help us live out a life that is dedicated to you? Yes, we want our faith to be public, but it has to start by being private. If you would, with every eye closed, every head bowed in this room, and there's somebody, if there's anybody in this room that says, I want to give my life to Jesus today, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. And I just want you to do something. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you. And I love you. And God, I pray that anywhere where there's a little hypocrisy, to where we're turning it into a public performance, God, would you shine your light on that? Would you allow your Holy Spirit to live within us and show us how we develop that privately first so that we can live it publicly and make a difference with others? And God, for anybody that raised their hand today for salvation or maybe in their heart they wanted salvation, I pray, God, that they would go by either Connect Center or the, or the care tent. God, just get prayer. Just say, I want to begin a new relationship with you today. God, I thank you. I love you. And Lord, I'm excited because what is burning in private in a relationship with you will always be seen publicly too. So help us draw closer to you every day. In your name we pray, amen.